How's it going, everyone? You are now listening to the Landry Shift Podcast, a really special episode for you guys today. Earlier this afternoon, I recorded a interview slash conversation with Patrick Walker. He is the senior writer for CBS Sports, 247 Sports, and CowboysHQ.com. Uh, what was supposed to be a just a quick 15-minute conversation turned to a great hour and 10-minute long discussion about uh, Cowboys, uh, the Oakland game, the Seattle game coming up, Zeke, Dez, everything. I'm really, really, really excited to give it to you guys. Um, it was fantastic having him on. So uh, here is the conversation that me and Patrick Walker at Voice of the Star just had. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Landry Shift podcast. Um, I'm really excited to have my first guest ever on the show today. I have Mr. Patrick Walker on. He is the senior writer or a senior writer for CBS Sports, 247 Sports, as well as CowboysHQ.com. You can find him on Twitter at, at Voice of the Star. He's a great follow for all things Cowboys. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me on. How about yourself? Yes, sir. I'm doing fantastic that you. I'm really excited. And uh, again, thank you so much for for coming on. Got you at a really good time, I think, because we had such a big game Sunday, um, a really big game this upcoming Sunday. Um, you know, a lot of talking points from the game against the Raiders. Uh, what was one of the biggest things to jump out at you in terms of maybe team performance or individual performance on uh, Sunday's game? For me, it's going to um, going to be the obvious play of Jeff Heath. Uh, if you look at what's going on with the the progression of Heath over the course of 2017, you look at the fact that um, he was vilified for most of the beginning of 2017, and rightfully so because he was still getting his sea legs, so to speak, after the team opted to let veteran safety Barry Church, um, as well as backup safety J.J. Wilcox, walk uh, in NFL free agency this past spring. That put all eyes on Heath. Obviously, he has uh, rookie six-round pick Xavier Woods kind of chomping at his heels. A lot of people, including myself, would love to see Woods get more time, a higher snap count. But to Heath's credit, he's been able to stave off both Woods as well as second-year safety Kayvon Frazier as far as the starting role is concerned. And if you look at his progression over the past uh, two or three weeks, it seems to have climaxed in the game against the Raiders. He had two consecutive game-saving plays. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone's discussing what happened with the forced fumble against David Carr, rightfully so. But the play right before then, he also mm-hmm. made a great pass breakup to keep the touchdown from happening there as well. So if you look at the totality of the game, a lot of impressive play um, from players like Jordan Lewis, the uh, mm-hmm. defensive pass interference notwithstanding. Shadobia Wouzier uh, looked great. And although Anthony Brown did not seal the game, if you take that play away, he had a solid game as well. I believe uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the highest ranked cowboy or the highest rated cowboy coming out of week 15. But um, straightforward, I got to go with Jeff Heath. I'm very impressed with what he's doing right now. I would certainly agree with you. And one of my, it's funny, one of my notes on here is how Anthony, uh, a little notebook here, how Anthony Brown really had a good bounce back game. I, right. I would say. And and certainly Jeff Heath in the individual performance, but I really think the secondary as a whole to have Woods, Lewis, and uh, Wheezy out there. I mean, I think they were targeted twenty plus times, only allowed you know a little over maybe 110, 120 yards. They really, really, really did a, a fantastic job. And aside from that last drive, you know the the Raiders have had a certainly haven't had that great of an off uh, offensive season this year compared to last, but still a, a really a lot of talent around the ball. Um, on the offensive side, 
with David Carr and then a, a savvy veteran like Michael Crabtree. But I'll certainly agree with you. Jeff Heath is, is definitely someone who stuck out to me. Um, but that secondary as a whole was, uh, in my opinion, kind of the the game break, the, the kind of the uh, what pushed us over the edge to have a, to have a victory there. Um, I'm really, really, really pleased with the Xavier Woods. I think I, I will say this: you know, the middle of the season, um, I've always, I'm kind of like you. Jeff Heath uh, has had some you know, some times where he comes up with really big plays and then also ones where he gives up a lot of big plays. Right. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out, I wonder if it's Xavier Woods selling in the slot has saved Jeff Heath, his job, uh, you know, in the safety position. Um, would you agree with that? I, I believe that has had some play in it. Um, I don't believe that that's the definitive reason, but it does lend to the reason, one of the reasons I should say that Jeff Heath has been more or less safe, because if you look at a player like Xavier Woods, much like Ozier, those are your your flex players. Those are your players that have the ability to go safety or drop down in the slot. Um, And, you know, for the most part, Woods, we haven't seen him play on outside the hashes just yet, but who knows? He probably has that ability as well. He's just that good of an athlete. Yeah. Um, same but, with Byron Jones. Yeah, same with Byron Jones. The only problem, versatile. only problem with Jones is is that they, they're they not committing to what they want him to do. So the difference between Jones and Woods, I would say, is that Woods is, is more designed to flex, where mm-hmm. Jones is being forced to flex. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where the issue is coming in with why is Jones so inconsistent. I believe that ultimately they'll figure out what they almost figured out in Jones's rookie season, which is that he is a cornerback, mm-hmm. not a safety. Whereas mm-hmm. with Woods, you can plug him in the slot. You can drop him back at strong safety. You can put him over at free safety. He's going to get the job done wherever you place him. And that's what makes Woods so attractive on the field. And I believe ultimately he's going to supplant, ironically, uh, included in one of the pieces that I wrote today, um, that I believe that in 2018 we could see Xavier Woods supplant not Jeff Heath, but Byron Jones um, in that safety position. So it could be a combination of Heath um, and Woods as starters with Kayvon Frazier um, kind of challenging Heath for the starting safety spot. And it's funny you say that because Kayvon Frazier has been replacing Jones also. You're right. You know, in those, in those run situations, he's a little bit of a bigger body. So I, I think we have a lot of youth in the secondary, but man, uh, I mean, for, as a Cowboys fan, the one thing that has always held us back especially late in the season in the playoffs is our secondary. In my opinion, that's one thing that's we've always kind of struggled with. And now we have this plethora of, of young talent and versatile talent. Um, I, I've, I've kind of gone on record of saying that I think that this potentially could be Orlando Scandrich last year as a Cowboy. Um, I think based on his contract, I think he's had trouble staying healthy. He uh, isn't the same tackler as he once used to be. He's still not that slot. He's not that slot guy that he used to be. And when you have, you know, multiple young draft picks that are in there playing on the rookie contracts, chomping at the bit, like Awuzier with that hit on Marshawn Lynch, right? That was, although Awuzier got knocked back, Marshawn Lynch didn't get an extra yard and he stepped up to it. That's something that Orlando Stanger would not have done if he was in that position. You're you're not going to see most defensive backs 
know, Absolutely. barring your strong safeties or your free safeties Absolutely. who are built like Kayvon Frazier who want that contact. Yeah. But yeah. You're, you're certainly not going to see a cornerback, young or Absolutely old, not. step yeah. up against um, a running back. And now we're not just talking about any running back. We're talking about Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. Okay. Yes, um, he stepped in, he squared up, he took the shot, um, and he, you know, he paid for it physically. Yeah. But he uh, stopped him. But, but again, yeah, like you said, there was not a single inch gained after that. Um, and when you see that kind of physicality coming from your cornerbacks, your rookie cornerback, no less. Uh, I mean, it, makes that, you excited. It, it, make, it should make you excited. I mean, Cowboys fans everywhere should be excited at what's going on between Wuzier and Lewis and Woods and know that oh, yeah, th- this is a team that has gone from, like you said, having so many questions perennially in the secondary uh, with giving up big plays and bad tackling and bad angles being taken, mm-hmm. um, you know, lending to those bad tackles. And, and uh, you look at what is going on now, not only did the Cowboys have such a fantastic um, draft class, including these guys, but look how quickly they're acclimating mm-hmm. to the game. L- look at Awuzie, for example. He missed most of the season nursing. And offseason. Yes, and, and preseason nursing a, a hamstring injury that just nagged him. He stepped in, and after being on a pitch count for about one or two games, they put him in the full-time role as starter because they had issues um, with injury in the secondary, and he just absolutely balled out as if he had never missed any time whatsoever. And yes, and to exacerbate that in a positive way, typically the defensive back position for a rookie has almost as steep a learning curve as pass rusher and defensive line. Okay, but to see Lewis and Awuzie and Woods just step in and, and own these positions as if they're third and fourth year players, imagine when they get to their year three, year four. I predicted that um, Woods may not make the Pro Bowl next season, but that is going to be predicated upon several factors. You know, who's going to be starting? Are they going to have him in the slot? Are they going to have him coming off the bench? But I believe Lewis and Awuzie are pretty much locks for making the 2019 Pro. Oh yeah, and, and it's what's exciting is is you're getting these guys in later rounds. Anthony Brown last year was a sixth round pick. Tavon Frazier was a late round pick. Xavier Woods was an absolute steal in the sixth round. And I think and I think this all goes back to Willie McClay and his ability to draft and, and his personnel director ability. It, it it blows my mind every offseason. I get nervous that somebody's going to take him away <laughs> and, and hire him as a GM. Right? I'm I'm almost want to hide him a little bit because I don't want to lose him. But this is but these are the Patrick, these are the the draft picks we weren't hitting on for most. When Romo was as a cowboy, we did really well a first round pick, but it was those third through sixth round picks we absolutely weren't hitting on. And late to, late in the season, injuries came up, and we were really, really, really scraping the bottom of the barrel. These were the hit. These were the draft picks that we were not hitting on that we are now. And I think that's, that sets us up beautifully for the next five to six years. Agreed. I mean, um, you could even throw in the, uh, the second round issue with the Cowboys um, in recent, in recent history, but um, look at what is happening with Jalen Smith right now. And earlier in the season, people were saying, well, he's having coverage issues and maybe turnaround. Right. Going. This is probably a bust so forth and so on. Keep in mind that if you look at the, the trend of his numbers and what he's doing on the field, whether it be flashy play or simply looking at coaches film, the progression of Jalen Smith has been absolutely yeah. unbelievable. 
It has. I agree with you. And keeping in mind that he's still not 100% on that knee. Oh, yeah. And he's still. And he really got. He really got thrown into the fire too. Yeah, absolutely, uh, I mean, with the I Sean mean, Lee really, injury, yeah, and with the sure. Anthony Hitchens injury earlier in the season, and that's when mm-hmm. they admittedly they they asked him to do too much too soon, but then they didn't really absolutely. have a choice given, yes, given what was going on. Now, yeah, it was him or Justin Durant, and I'd rather have Jalen Smith out there to at least at the reps. There you go. Um, and then now look at what's what's happening now is he's well into his own at this point and the prognosis earlier in the season was that his knee would be fully healed come january give or take uh, a few weeks so more or less that means that in 2018 he will be completely healthy he will have a year under his belt of you know and that's two years under his belt of studying sean lee but a year under his belt of being on the field i think he's going to be an absolute monster uh, going forward absolutely and who better to learn from than sean lee too I mean, it's it's um, fantastic. And then look at what's going yeah. on with Hitchens. So not only – I mean, we praise Sean Lee rightfully so, but look at the year Hitchens is having. So you have He's Hitchens and Sean Lee to learn from. He, he being Jalen Smith, he is set up to uh, be an outstanding uh, linebacker going forward. And to your point, I don't – well, I'll say this. I don't believe that Will McClay will go anywhere simply because he's not as concerned with title as he is with the ability to mold a team as he sees Thankfully it. Thankfully so. And, yes, and that's what's going to keep him in Dallas. A lot of people saying, well, you know, um, someone's going to lure him away with a GM title. Will McClay could, could not care less about a GM title. What he wants to do is win and have the power within his um, yes, sir. within his current job title so to speak to be able to say hey i want that guy and for jerry jones and and stephen jones to be able to back him up on that and that's what's been happening and that's why you're starting to see this progression of you know absolutely nailing first round picks question marks are still out on taco charlton but as we all know if anyone follows me on twitter at voice of the star um you read my pieces i've been a believer in taco charlton my main thing is be patient you can he's improved and he has improved which is pretty much right on schedule with what I've been telling everyone up to this point. I believe 2018 is going to be very strong for Taco Charlton. Very strong. I think, and it's funny you mentioned the Willie McClay thing. You almost have to think he is in a perfect position because he has all the power, but does not have the pressure of the title. Right. Right. And and, and that that, that should be really appealing. Um, You know, you mentioned the Pro Bowl aspect, you know, for uh, Lewis and Ouizier. Pro Bowl rosters released. We had four Cowboys, of course, the three, um, our big three up in the offensive line, Frederick, Martin, and Smith. And we had Demarcus Lawrence making his first um, Pro Bowl appearance. You know, Todd Archer on ESPN, I read a, a piece today where he he talked about the Pro Bowlers and he, he listed uh, um, Chris Jones as a snub. Huge and snub. I would agree with him. Huge snub. I, I would agree with him. But I also think that there's two others that, that I see that um, maybe not as big of snubs, but if you watch them throughout the season, uh, it, it really begs the question, Kayvon Frazier is an absolute special teams animal, yes, right? Absolute special teams animal. I haven't had, I think Buda Baker from Arizona got that, got that spot. Did. If you correct me if I'm he wrong, really- I haven't seen, I haven't seen much of him, but he's an animal on, on, on special teams. And also one thing, the same thing happened last year with free, and Leary, that those those bid three and Smith, Frederick Martin get so much attention that the other two get forgotten about, right? And I thought at the beginning of the season, you really noticed how valuable free 
and Leary were when you, we had some of those offensive line troubles. But Lilio Collins has had a great year considering who he has faced yes. on that right I side. Agree. He's given up four sacks. He's faced the likes of JPP, Von Miller, Clay Matthews, Ryan Kerrigan, Justin Houston, Vic Beasley, Olivier Vernon, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, and you've only given up four sacks? That, I mean, that right there within itself – should lend to some Pro Bowl consideration. Absolutely. And then if you consider everything that you just stated with everyone that he faced, we're talking about him facing, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's nine first-team All-Pros and only giving Mm -hmm. up four sacks. And then lately he's been doing this and playing at a high level with a bulging disc in his back. Oh, yeah. He hasn't practiced, what, in in, in three or four weeks? I mean, he he returned to practice last week, um, but it was late last week. And then – you know, but he had missed more than two weeks of practice, stepped right in on Sunday, delivered the goods, you know, for lack of a better way to put it. And, and he's doing all of this, not only with a bulging disc in his back and lack of practice recently, which in and of itself is is ridiculous. But this is also his first season back on the edge since his days at LSU. And he's playing at a high level. Um, and I, I agree with you. I believe that Lyle Collins uh, warrants being in the Pro Bowl, but I believe his, the demerit on Collins is the same demerit against a player like Jonathan Cooper, which is so much praise is is rightfully so is heaped upon Travis Frederick and mm-hmm. Zach Martin and, and Tyron Smith. Right. That, that the voters as a whole tend to forget or not see what Collins and Cooper do, because I also believe that Jonathan Cooper um, would have had a would have had a Pro Bowl caliber season had the Cowboys listened to the drum I was beating since the offseason and started him over the Chaz Green experiment to begin the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you look at Jonathan Mm -hmm. Cooper, he's now playing at that first round pick status. Mm -hmm. Uh, So more or less, the Cowboys have five first round picks. it speaks to that because Leo Collins was a top 10 prospect coming out of the right. draft his year. He had that investigation kind of happen last minute. And then felt and undrafted. So he was, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a first round talent. Uh, and then, of course, you got three or four actual first round picks on the line. Uh, so three of them all. Pros. Yeah, all three of them perennial yeah. all pros. So mm-hmm. I, I believe that it's, yes, it's hard to. If you're looking at it from a voter standpoint, especially being that a third of the Pro Bowl votes are based upon NFL fans, which for the most part are going to be casual fans or just fans who don't follow the Cowboys, you know, in depth like you or I. So they're not going to know about what Lyle Collins does, what John Cooper does. They know what ESPN talks about. Uh, and, you know, that that's fair. Um, but it's supposed to be balanced also with the other two thirds, which would be coaches and media. Um, and that's 66 percent of the vote. So I would wonder why a player like Lyle Collins is left out. So, you know, to your point, I agree that Collins is not necessarily as much of a a blatant snub as Chris Jones would be, but one nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And, and, uh, and I think like you mentioned the casual fan one that it's going to be very tough for them to, or, or anybody. And I, you're almost kind of hindered by your own success because who's going to vote for four, linemen on the same team right. right so i think i think it's one of those things where in subconsciously you're thinking man i can't vote for four right so you vote for the most popular three and that's what happens right. is it's, it's all a popular most of it's a popularity contest with the fan votes i i could see you know towards the end of the season injuries playoffs you know um you know it seems like a lot of 
players and a bit voted the Pro Bowl. I could se- uh, certainly see Collins um, and maybe Frazier and maybe even Jeff Heath, for that matter, if he continues to step up like he has uh, possibly made it the Pro Bowl. Possible. Moving on, I, I know you don't have a ton of time. I want to talk about the Seahawks game coming up Sunday. Um, you know, everybody knows the playoff scenarios, the the deal with the NFC South and the Lions. I don't really want to mess with all that because that's out of our control. I really want to focus on what we can control, which is um, winning out our last Fair two enough. games. And the Seahawks game is tricky, and, and here's why. It seems like the Seahawks this season are either um, – insane on the offensive side of the ball or they're awful, right? It's, 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 it's one no of the other. You know, I mean, there's no in-between with the it, it does. <laughs> there's absolutely no in-between with the Seahawks. And that makes me nervous. Um, one of the things I wrote down uh, going through my notes is I think personally, and, and I don't have a, a stout or a coaching mindset, mind you, but from just a, a follower and a fan's point of view, I think that the biggest matchup per se for this game is going to be the Cowboys linebacking core versus Russell Wilson and keeping that containment. I think if you keep uh, Russell Wilson in the pocket, similar to what teams have done against Dak Prescott, I think I think that his I think you hinder his abilities and you and you when you keep him inside the pocket. I don't think he's as dangerous as he is when he does the the bootlegs. He goes outside the pocket. If you can keep containment, I think you have a really good shot. Of winning I agree game. with that. And um, the problem with Seattle is you, you just, like you said, you just don't know who you're going to get each week. And mm-hmm. the fact that they've, you know, they lost a, a, a heartbreaker against the Jaguars and then pretty much got obliterated by the rival Los Angeles Rams. There, I mean, oh, if there is awesome. ever a time that the Seahawks would bite back. Um, at a team, it's it's now, um, it, particularly exactly. because they're walking into a scenario where it's it's win or go home uh, for both of them mm-hmm. as well both as the us, Dallas yeah. Cowboys. Now that that's going to pretty much sharpen the teeth of the Seahawks. Um, for me, the Cowboys need to play him. Not, I mean, it's good that they get to practice against Dak Prescott because that's going to give them an edge against mm-hmm. um, playing against a player like Russell Wilson, who is so dangerous on the move. But I think they need to attack Russell Wilson or play him more so like he's Aaron Rodgers. And that, me saying that, should make Cowboys fans nervous for because it, it's a justifiable so, take. It's, you know, he Russell Wilson is better in the pocket than Dak Prescott is. Um, and, and like Aaron Rodgers, he can make those plays standing still or he can make those plays on the move. Now, he's not as proficient as Rodgers in the pocket, but he's much better than Dak would be in the pocket. Um, it's when you get back outside the pocket, pocket that he's really dangerous. But with uh, a player like Wilson, it's kind of a pick your poison. But the poison you want to pick is the pocket poison. Try saying that three times fast. Mm-hmm. But especially with, with their lack of talent and I say lack of talent, but they're really their lack of t- outside of him and Jimmy Graham. They don't have a ton of talent on the offensive. No, side they of the don't. Ball. I mean, you have Doug Baldwin, and you better account so, for him. Um, and playing him one on one is not going to be a smart call. I don't believe the Cowboys are playing off straight up one on one. That that's a death sentence. Um, but if you look at shading coverage over to help out with Doug Baldwin, and then you have a player like let's say Xavier Woods, we were speaking about him earlier in the in the podcast. Um, have him between himself and Byron Jones make sure that because Byron Jones does great against tight ends. Uh, I agree, and I, and I mentioned that on my last last week's pod or uh, a week or two's podcast. Byron Jones against yes. Evan Ingram, 
and he's because he, he's athletic. He has he has those athletic abilities. I mean, he what, he broke the world record for the 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 uh, broad jump. I mean, he is athletic, so he matches up very well. Absolutely. I mean, you look at whether it be Evan Ingram or you know the the most uh, obvious one or the more popular one would be him shutting down Rob Gronkowski, which is nearly impossible to do. I mean, between Woods and Jones, you have all the talent you need to to take care of a surging Jimmy Graham. All they need to do is make sure that between Sean Lee and Jalen Smith and, and Justin Durant and Damian Wilson, they need to make sure that they keep contain on Russell Wilson, because if he's in the pocket, that does two things. It eliminates the, or shortens the window in which the coverage has to continue because you're talking about having the NFL sack leader in Demarcus uh, Lawrence um, that gives Lawrence time to get to him. And then now you're going to look at potential takeaways from bad throws or, you know, forced fumbles and things of that nature. And then the forced fumbles, that's something that the Cowboys lead the NFL in. They are first in forced fumbles with 11. Problem is they've only Mm -hmm. uh, recovered a handful of those, which is. Well, we had, I mean, we had two of them on the first drive against the Giants. Uh, you know, it, like you said, we didn't. I mean, we can, the Cowboys are great at knocking the ball free. Uh, the problem is they don't typically recover them. Um, now, Patrick, is that just due to solid tackling, or do you think the defense just makes an effort to use that that outside, you know, that right arm or the left arm to? Honestly, to when it comes to force fumbles, and and let me correct myself really quickly. I said the Cowboys have eleven on the season; they actually have nineteen force fumbles on the season. So, quick correction there. But um, they've only recovered nine of them, and I believe that when it comes to force fumbles, there's an there's an air of technique to recovering them. But there is an mm-hmm. equal and opposite air of luck because you you just don't know which way the ball is going to bounce in. Sometimes it bounces mm-hmm. in your favor. Sometimes it doesn't. The ones that are maddening and should be maddening for Cowboys fans are the ones where the ball is laying right there, dormant, and the Cowboys don't recover the ball. So that goes back to my point of um, technique. You have to make sure that you're in position or someone is in position to get to that ball once it's stripped free. And the Cowboys are great at stripping it, but they need to improve what on what they can control. And what they can control is not the luck portion of it, obviously, but definitely the technique and making sure that, hey, I know that as a unit, our goal is to strip this ball free. So knowing that going in, everyone needs to make sure that their head is on a swivel when they see a ball carrier being brought to the ground, because more often than not this season, it's probably going to result in some type of force fall. And that's funny because Rod Marinelli defenses are famous for five, six, seven guys being around the ball at once. They right? I mean, he prides himself at they getting swore. the best of, of his of his defense. And and yeah, you'll see five or six guys around. So it's funny that you that, that that's the case, is you know, we always have guys. But if you the notice ball. they're keen um, in. So thing, once they swarm, everyone's focused on bringing the guy down, but I, they're, yes, they're not, not so, so much, much what's going to happen. In route to the ground, yeah. so they need to they need to be a little bit better at saying, okay, well, we got um, you know one or two guys already on this guy, so that means all of the satellite players need to be on alert, red alert, that a ball is about to come free. Um, but it, so it's kind of a it's the gift and the curse. The gift is that everybody's so amped and so talented at swarming the ball that everybody they want they want to get in on the scrum. Um, but no mm-hmm. one has taken that that extra step to say, okay, well, there's already three guys on him. 
that ball is probably going to come out. Let me be ready for that. And that's where you're seeing, you know, these strips happen. And the Cowboy players, I mean, they're still tackling the guy. But the ball, the ball is two yeah, yards exactly. away. And then now, you know, the, the opposing team, they fall on it and extend the drive. And then what inevitably, inevitably happens after that, a big play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and uh, it, it's just funny how that goes. And, and I, But I do feel like you haven't seen as much, aside from the last play, the, the first half against the Chiefs, the Tyreek Hill, I, I feel like you haven't seen a lot of big plays happen because of over-eager defenders trying to make big tackles. I think they make, like you said, the, the technique portion, I think they make solid tackles. I, I believe we've done a really good job Lately. of that this year. Lately, there, there were there were a uh, there have been several stretches throughout the season, wherein the the tackling has left a lot to be desired, um, and I think, like you said, that goes to being over eager, and a lot of times, um, it's just the youth. I mean, we're praising the the fact that this youthful secondary can step in and make plays consistently, but the fact is there's still a youthful secondary. The knife cuts both ways. Um, So they're eager to prove themselves. They're eager to make game breaking plays. But when you get so uh, riled up within yourself, sometimes you over pursue Mm -hmm. on a a route or a tackle. And then the next thing you know, this guy, he makes one move and he's at the second level or he's at the second level. He makes a move and he's, you know, past the third level. So they they've gotten much better as of late with that. But they did have some rough stretches at certain points during the season where you were just like, man, who are these guys trying to tackle? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that happened when, when Sean Lee was out. Um, I, I think, you know, when Jalen Smith had his, I think it was the Rams and the, and the Packers, I, I believe when Lee was out right. for the first stretch. And even in the Falcons um, game. When and, and Jalen Smith. Even in the Falcons some, game. You know, uh, Jalen Smith struggled oh, yeah. in that game. Yeah. And, so. And that and and those are the guys you don't want to. I mean, when you have Todd Gurley and Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman, those are the guys you do not want to over. You know, have be over eager and, and try to make some big plays. But which is um, which is something I don't think that. To, and, and this is what's going to work in the Cowboys' favor. The Seattle Seahawks don't have that premier running back, and then I their agree. starting yes, running sir. back is yeah. pretty much ruled out, um, if not only for this game, but for the remainder of the season. So you're looking at only having to key in on Russell Wilson, which makes the game plan a hell of a lot easier, especially considering Russell Wilson uh, in one way or another is responsible for over 90% of the Seattle Seahawks offense. Unbelievable. If they didn't have that game against the Rams, I mean, he would have been my vote for me. A a lot of people think the same way and rightfully so. So the Cowboys, what works in their favor is they don't have to worry about uh, Marshawn Lynch plus Russell Wilson plus Doug Baldwin plus, you know, Jimmy Graham Mm -hmm. because the success of Doug Baldwin and the success of Jimmy Graham pretty much are accountable to what's going on with Russell Wilson. So you shut him down. The run game is pretty much going to be negligible. Right. So key in on Sean Lee, knowing what Russell Wilson is going to do, communicating that, keep him in the pocket, uh, force the game to be one dimensional, which further helps players like Lawrence get in there, penetrate, make impact plays, whether it be pressure, even if it's not a sack, create the pressure that forces the bad throw Mm -hmm. that turns into the interception that helps change the game. That's how you're going to beat the Seattle Seahawks. You're going to have to jump on them early. They want to implode. If you look at what's going on with Bobby Wagner and Earl Thomas, 
Oh, yes. Unbelievable. This team yeah, they're on wants the to implode. Yeah. All the Cowboys have to do is give them a reason. The, the best way to do that is jump on them early, keep your foot on the gas, and by halftime, this game could be over, but it is all dependent upon what happens in the first quarter, in my opinion. You don't want to leave it to the third quarter because that is a quarter that the Cowboys have not done well in in 2017. Got to end this I game agree. before the third quarter. And, you know, and it, it is going to be very easy to do that with the the energy we're going to oh, get yes. with Zeke being back. And, and I want to ask you if you're the Seattle Seahawks, if you're the Seattle Seahawks, how do you manage that in the beginning of the day, in the first quarter? How do you manage and try and stop prevent that that high energy that that you're going to get from Zeke coming back? Because I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of him. He looks lean. He He's looks. I mean, he looks. It's going to. Yeah, it's going to be unbelievable. I mean, I'm sure he's absolutely chomping at the bit right now. So if you're the Seattle Seahawks, what do you do? Is it is it putting some hard hits on them at the beginning? Is that, it some blitzes? That's what do you do to try and prevent that high energy? There's from nothing that they starts? can do to, to prevent what's about to happen as far as Ezekiel Elliott goes. And, and here's why. Ezekiel Elliott, he is one of the, uh, if not the best running back against a stacked box. Um, so you can put eight, nine defenders in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to Ezekiel Elliott because he's going to get the yards after contact. Um, that being That's said, the Seahawks also don't have the personnel right now to be able to afford stacking the box. Richard Sherman is on injured reserve. Cam Chancellor is on injured reserve. Help, uh, Cliff Averill is on injured reserve. You, you don't have the talent right now on the field. Like now, to. conventional wisdom says, well, you got to go with what you go with. I mean, you got to go with who's on the field. So they'll probably try to stack the box up front. Well, see, the problem with that is, is like I said, that doesn't stop Ezekiel Elliott. But what it does is create opportunities down the field for Dak Prescott and Des Bryant and Cole Beasley between the hashes and Terrence Williams, you know, to get his his yak yards. Um, so I don't believe that Seahawks can do much beyond try to will themselves into a way to stop Ezekiel Elliott, because right now they haven't seen a ton of premier backs, you know, players like Todd Gurley, notwithstanding, obviously, but they're averaging, uh, they're allowing up to 113 yards weekly. They cannot stop the run. Yes, We're talking about Elliott before he was suspended for six games and, and went to, um, the, the point of conditioning his body to what we see today, which is just ridiculous. The guy is ripped um, and he's focused and he has a chip on his shoulder. And you can tell you can tell when oh, you see yeah. how he walks and how he practices and uh, he, he's ready to get out there and do some real damage. Elliot was averaging a hun- over 125 yards per game over the course of his last four games before suspension. That was before he got in the condition that he's in right now. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. He he started the season heavy and it's unbelievable to think that he can miss six games and still has a chance. Absolutely. For I mean, he was on pace season. for, I think 1,566 rushing yards, yeah. 15 touchdowns. Oh, yeah. So not far from his uh, historic rookie campaign. Uh, so I believe Ezekiel Elliott's going to come out. He's going to be the, the reason that, and my prediction is the Cowboys will win this game, and we'll get to that um, uh, in a little bit. But I believe that Ezekiel Elliott is going to have his way. Now, does that mean every play is going to yield 19 yards rushing? Uh, is he going to average 19 yards per carry? Absolutely not. You know, he's going to lose yardage every once in a while. But I believe before it's all said and done, he can have a 175-yard game and potentially 
his first career 200-yard rushing game. I don't see that being out of the question for a team that's missing so many all-pros on defense and already giving up 113 yards per game, um, you know, throughout the season. I, I just think it's the earliest game. Oh, and the, and, the, and the last thing you don't want is 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 a, a back of Ezekiel Elliott's caliber to essentially have six weeks of rest. Now, granted, I mean, he obviously he was conditioning, but you weren't getting those. You weren't. He's fresh. Those legs are fresh. And, and I do agree with you. I think he's focused. I think a lot of talk was mentioned about him leaving the country and this and that, but I'm glad he did. He left. He went. He went. He did what he needed to do. I mean, he had the resort turn their, their driving range into a training field. For, I mean, I think he's ready to go. I think he, he has mindset, and I think there's a lot of similarities to what Tom Brady did after his four-game suspension. If you, if you, I mean, he was on a mission. Right. If you look at he it, was on and a mission. it's great that you bring up Tom Brady because mentally those are, you know, completely compatible. Both were felt like they were wronged by the NFL. Mm-hmm. I can't necessarily speak to the Tom Brady aspect of it with Deflategate, but with so much research and so much of my life dedicated to understanding what happened with the Ezekiel Elliott case, I can confidently say that Ezekiel Elliott was in fact wronged by the yeah. NFL. Um, but So he has I that mental too. driver. And then on top of that, this is pretty much, it's week 16 and it's more or less the season opener for Ezekiel Elliott. Six weeks oh, off. He's ready. And, I yeah. mean, that's, that's and it's funny. you know, a, a very... Yeah, that's a mini offseason right the there. Off-season. So you're talking about uh, going against the yeah. Seattle Seahawks defense that's battered, bruised, and tired as they should be because it's 16 weeks into the NFL. And here comes the, arguably the league's best rusher back from vacation in the best shape of his football life with a huge chip on his shoulder. And you were already giving up over 112 yards per game. I don't think. Ezekiel yeah, Elliott has that nasty yeah. attitude. I mean, he has that. You saw it. It's funny. You saw it in the the preseason game of his rookie year against the Seahawks. One of his first carries. I mean, he went right at Cam Chancellor. Does he has that he mentality? That might. I mean, he just has that nasty, gritty. He yeah. He lives for it. That's why you see him didn't know those yards after contact. Um, and that's why you see him. He always falls forward. He always just a two or three. He's the type of ball carrier that he seeks contact. He wants to send the message that you're not going to bring him down. And, you know, exactly. And a lot of football fans who've been following the sport for a long time, they understand that. Uh, and a lot of defensive Hall of Famers will tell you as well, when you're going against a running back like that, the first hit, Maybe that, you know, you kind of put that in the back of your head. But the second or third time you try to hit a guy like that, it just Mm -hmm. wears on you. And if you have to do it for four quarters, by the time it gets to, you know, the fourth quarter, middle of the fourth quarter, you're just tired. You're beat up. You're hurting. You're sore. And this guy is still running like it's the first quarter. Um, So I don't think the Seahawks have much that they Mm -hmm. can do besides try to will themselves into stopping Ezekiel Elliott. But I don't think that's going to be enough. I think the game is going to come down to uh, two things. One, can they stop Ezekiel Elliott? The answer for me, no. Um, The other question is, can the Cowboys stop Russell Wilson? That is the question mark that we don't know and we won't know until Sunday. But um, because so much of the Seahawks offense is predicated upon Wilson, if the Cowboys can shut him down by keeping him immobile and bring him down in the pocket, forcing those takeaways from the pocket, then it's going to be a Cowboys win. It's going to be a big one. And, and these are the kind of games that, uh, you know, if, if you've been a Cowboys fan for a while, 
these are the games where you really want to pull your hair out because it's those like you like you mentioned if if you're if you're waiting to the third quarter to win the game you're going to lose it right because these are the types of games and Russell Wilson's the type of quarterback that you're left pulling your hair out because it's like the Aaron Rodgers right in the playoffs and in this year you give up those those ten yards fifteen yards. 12 yards, 15 yards, 22, and you're giving up these chunks and you're just like, what in the world? Why can't you stop them? And, and as, as Cowboys fans, like that seems very reminiscent. And obviously these aren't the same players. You have a lot of young guys, a lot of rookies, but still it, it just seems it, right. it's familiar territory for the Cowboys. So you're right. I, I think you're going to have to win it in the first and second quarter. You're going to have to win on first down when you're the offense, keep the drive going. Keep Russell Wilson extend off the field. Drives. If you're um, the Cowboys, you another, have to uh, extend drives. Yeah, it's you have to convert those third downs. Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think one thing to Jason Derrick's credit, I know he gets a lot of heat on, on Twitter for being not, not being creative, not being a risk taker. It, don't tell me he's not a risk taker <laughs> after watching that game against the Raiders. You know what I'm saying? I know that I know the Chris Jones punt was his own choice, but to go for it like he did, I mean – I think he understands right. too that it's it's do or die time, right? Uh, and and he's coaching that way too. Um, I, it's you mentioned Russell Wilson and and his ability to extend plays. And one of the one of the notes I had when when I was watching the game Sunday is with without Ezekiel Elliott, you know, we that Prescott struggles have been well noted in the first couple of games. I think right. he's done better, still, but still yes. struggling uh, statistically. The Giants it's game, just yes. on the box score. If you're watching the games, it's, exactly. And and uh, it's kind of put me into a conundrum, and here's why. You see the Carson Wentz play where he tears his ACL, and you think, why would anybody be so dumb to put their franchise quarterback and make him run the ball? On the flip side of that coin, in my opinion, if you watch the damage against the Raiders, the offense gets going, Dak Prescott gets going after he runs the ball. And it may not be a designed run, but if you, when, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's something I have when you see when he goes outside the pocket and he runs for 10 or 15 yards or he runs for a touchdown, that's when, in my opinion, the offense really gets going. So it puts me as a fan of this conundrum, right? Because I love it when it's working. But the moment he you know, almost breaks his hand like he did the other week or, or the moment where you know, like Carson Wentz, God forbid, he tears his ACL, gets injured. And Russell Wilson's kind of in the same boat a little bit. I think they're smarter runners than than the Robert Griffins or or the Kaepernick's in terms of knowing when to run and knowing when to slide. But but do you have any thoughts on that? Have you noticed the same thing where the well, offense absolutely. really seems I mean, to be if you going? Look at, if you look after at um, he runs his passer rate, it, it goes through the roof when he's blitzed. And the reason that is is because he's on the move. He's flushed out of the pocket. And once he's flushed out of the That's pocket, right. now you're asking defenders mm-hmm. to cover uh, the indefensible, which would be players like Dak, uh, not Dak Prescott, I'm sorry, but Des Bryant. Uh, he's a nightmare to try to continue a, a long coverage window. Cole Beasley. Um, you know, mm-hmm. players like Terrence Williams. Terrence Williams has the speed and quickness to get open and try to and shake those defenders and make plays down the field once that Prescott gets out of the pocket. But as in the secondary, in the opposing secondary, if you're a defensive back facing the Cowboys and Dak Prescott is out of the pocket, what do you do? What do you do? Do you crash down on him? Because if you do that, exactly. the ball is going over your head. You just blew your assignment. It's a big play. Or do you hang back, try your best to continue to cover players like Cole Beasley, which is difficult enough, and now Dak Prescott gets the first down? I think the difference between Prescott um, 
and a player like Robert Griffin III is Prescott is smart enough to know when it's time to lay down. Um, the only exactly. thing I would say contrary to that is when he's close close to getting a touchdown or when he smells the end zone, he's going for it. He, he's, for it. he's flipping, yeah. he's helicoptering, yeah. he's going in there. That's where the damage can occur. But yep. you got to let football players play football. Um, you and that's a good point, and and I and I really like that you said that because I, I do feel like I I think that's forgotten a lot that you I would I would much rather have a guy like that Prescott who has a natural instinct that natural nose for the end zone right and and has that desire to make plays happen instead of somebody like who is who's the quickest to go down and and it's funny the the Robert Griffin that Prescott thing that. Robert Griffin used to run right. like he had Dak Prescott's body, <laughs> which he doesn't. And Dak Prescott runs. Dak Prescott runs like he has Robert Griffin's long and lengthy body, right? So it's just it's just funny to me how you, you know I've noticed that, and it's one of. But I think you I think you mentioned it perfectly when you said let football players play, and and, and I think you just leave it at that because I I mean I, that, that's I, I pretty much what it all boils down to. Um, no one wants to see anyone injured, but this is a sport where the occupational hazard in and of itself is injury, um, sometimes minor, sometimes major. And mm-hmm. you try to protect yourself from that by, as a player by being smart in the decisions you make on the field. But you still need to play ball because what will happen is if you overthink, and this is coming from a former uh, football player, former athlete and myself, former you know track uh, star, if you start overthinking, you – exponentially increase the likelihood that you're going to get injured. And I was just about to say that you can make the argument the that the more cautious you are, the more likely you are to get injured. Like for instance, you know, when you're running the ball and you're about to get tackled, if you slow down, correct. Because that, that could lead to a non-contact up. injury. Now right. you're so, so, talking about ACL damage, MCL damage, PCL damage uh, in your knees, you know, rolled ankles, MCL strains, Achilles tears and things of that nature. And it's because you're trying to slam on brakes from mm-hmm. full speed when really what you probably should have done to your point is sped up or just simply went down and let physics do what physics does. Um, so yeah. you want to be smart you know, if, if you're Dak Prescott uh, and you're at the 50 yard line and, you know, you're, you're scrambling out, of, you're out of the pocket, you're scrambling for a first down and you see, you know, two guys bearing down on you, just lay down. Right. But and he does. He has a mm-hmm. great grasp on when to do that. But I'm not exactly upset with him, regardless of the outcome. Hopefully it doesn't result in injury. But if he's on the three yard line bootleg there's a guy crashing down on um by the time they meet it'll be at the one yard line and he decides that he's going to just go all forward that's a football player playing football that's a winner Mm -hmm. mentality that's the guy you want on your team cross your fingers eyes and toes and hope that it ends well but you want to see that from a player. that's what you want that's what you want as long as right. you're not diving oh, yeah. to the pylon in the case of uh, everybody Dave needs Hall, to right? uh, so, uh, pretty um, much adapt the Bill Belichick rule, which is don't extend. <laughs> don't extend. I was about to say, that's unbelievable. I, mean, I did. Did you see the report? Where I did. He's hey, player? the guy that has a handful of Super Bowl rings for a reason. May, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can't, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not it, it's smart. Him, and uh, you, and what happened so. with Derek Carr is a perfect example. You know, you, you live to fight another day. Um, but 
that's not taking anything away from uh, Jeff Heath because even if Carr doesn't fumble that ball, um, it's oh, no, still no. forced out of bounds, and that you know it's, gives the Cowboys yeah. a chance to still win the game. It's it it is it is Heath's big play much more Absolutely. than it is. It is you know, much more than an play, index right? card controversy. Um, let's let's all stop you know minimalizing oh, yes, the, yeah, the great play, yeah. um, the great plays that occur throughout the game um, from the Cowboys. To it, it was, all, it and, was and that's my point. Spot too. That's my point. Even if even if Steratour says that you know it was not a first down, Garrett's going to challenge that. The spot's going to change. It's going to challenge be a first exactly down. So let's if you take that out of the equation, exactly. which people should because it's inconsequential. Because like I just said, it was a horrible spot that probably would have been corrected. At the end of the day, it's the play on the field that determined and decided that game. Bad and good on both sides of the ball. So I think it's kind of disingenuous to, you know, kind of squeeze a game like that into a box and then label it index card. I, I think that. And 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 I think people I think people minimize how big of a deal it is to win games in the NFL, right? I really think people don't understand how tough it is to win games in the NFL. One of the most you're in a hostile environment. It's December. Bottles throwing and everything. I mean, you see that they were throwing (laughs) stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think people forget how tough it is to win football games. So they they go to is. They go to a single, you know. They go to well. They should have done no. They won the football game. It's December. It's a tough environment. Give them credit where it's due, right? It's not easy in this league, and you see that with so many very, very, very poor teams. It's not easy to win nine, ten, the eleven, twelve games in, in the, at the all. The league right? is it's built and designed for parity. It's designed to make teams eight and eight. You're only ever one bounce of the ball, one bad or good play, one bad or good call from an official from losing the game by one point. Uh, you're only one of those three things from going six and uh, eight, or oh, I'm sorry, six and nine, or six and ten rather, versus ten and six. So that's the league you're in. Uh, and exactly. the goal is to win the game. Doesn't matter how it's done. Just go out there and do it. They did it. They're still in the hunt. Unfortunately for them, they took a three week vacation in November, which puts their back against the wall. But like you said earlier in the podcast, they can only focus on what they can control. And right now it's about dismantling the Seattle Seahawks. I believe they win this game, but I don't know what Seahawks team will show up. But for that fact, I don't know what Cowboys team is going to show up. What I do know is which is exactly. Ezekiel Elliott's yeah. going to show and, up. And that is why I give the edge to the Cowboys. Oh, it's going to be, yeah. And, and here's the thing. It's funny. So, obviously, I'm a Cowboys fan first, right? And one of my fancy football leads, I'm in the championship. And my uh, my buddy that I'm playing against has Ezekiel Elliott. So, uh, yeah, on that standpoint, you know, not looking forward to it. However, I'm pumped. I think he's going to have a heck of a game. I think he's really going to, like you said, tear it up. One, one quick thing um, that I want to talk about. You mentioned – you mentioned Des Bryant quite a few times in the, in the past couple of minutes, specifically talking about uh, in, in terms of the Seattle Seahawks game. One thing I, I thought Des Bryant had that very, very, yes. very crucial clutch play two weeks in a row now towards the end of the Raiders game. But I, I think he, yeah. But I, I think, and I, and and let me let me first preview this with I am a massive Des Bryant fan. I am I am a big Des Bryant fan. I'm not a a Bryant hater. I know he has a lot of those. However, watching the game, he had he had a lot more 
bad plays than he had good. He's had quite a few drops the past couple of weeks. And um, I, I know Dak's been missing him a little bit, but the times were he hasn't missed. Agreed. Dez has dropped a few. One thing that really one thing that really blew my mind is you have Des Bryant who who is still, in my opinion, one of the top five, if not mm-hmm. top three, red zone threats in the NFL. Still. No matter no matter what anybody says, the stats wise, he's still getting he's still getting double I mean, he's still getting doubled in the in the red zone and you know, ten yards, five yards ago, he's getting doubled. And triple exactly. Is when is and I'm gonna trust what they said because Chris Collinsworth, you know, he has his pro football focus and I, I feel like they keep up with things pretty well. Is that that play was the first play this season that Des Bryant has caught in a ball that that traveled twenty yards plus in the air. Not not yards after catch, but deep balls down thrown down the field. Is is that is that a is that a Dak and Dez connection? Is that a, is that is that just because they're not connecting? Is that I I've been under the impression or of the belief, pardon me, that Des Bryant's stats have gone down based on scheme and changes we've made to the offense, not based on talent level. I, I don't right. believe that so what are your Dez thoughts Bryant on has that? lost a step whatsoever. I think it's a combination. Of, I think what you see with Dez Bryant in 2017 is a combination of a few things, um, one of which is the chemistry or lack thereof um, between himself and Dak Prescott. When they're on, they're on, but they're not on nearly as often as they are off. Um, and that in and of itself is what's yes. causing a down year as far as production wise and putting it all in perspective. He's still the you know team's leading receiver. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not. Yeah, of course. And and I think when you had and, and the reason I mentioned is because you had so many of those good years with uh-huh. him and Romo. And I think that was just because of an offensive that was just that was just because of the offense, right? That but was it was also you know, because and it was I, also I because Patrick, of that the chemistry that had been established between himself and Romo. That wasn't ready-made exactly. chemistry, exactly. right? So when Des Bryant was drafted, um, that wasn't. Not. I mean, you didn't see him in his early in his rookie season, um, or, or consistently over the course of his rookie mm-hmm. season, be that number one receiver that we saw in let's say 2014 when they were setting uh, franchise records, right? It took years. But even even in his first two or three years, he wasn't. But but I think that the the issue with the um, chemistry is a snowball effect, and, and and here's why. I think at the beginning or the last season, a lot was made of Dak not throwing to Des, and now I think so much has been made of that that in the back of Dak's mind, he feels like he needs to target Des That's no fair. matter what. That's fair, and and, and, and he's forcing it. And, and I, I think it's a snowball effect. So then you, he, there's, you know, he throws him the ball, Des doesn't catch it. So then there's more chemistry talk. So then he forces it more, and and it, and it just piles and compounds on on you're itself. Right, which is and which I goes back to my point in saying now. there are several variables that have contributed to Des Bryant having a down season. One is the chemistry or lack thereof between himself and Dak Prescott, um, and it's the drops as well because certain plays, like for example, you cited. You cited the uh, PFF stat that said, you know, what uh, the catch against the Raiders was the first one that he had that was over 20 yards this season. Okay, without digging into it, let's assume that's accurate. But if you look at what happened, let's say, with the New York Giants, he had a huge drop that would have either put the Cowboys Mm -hmm. in uh, position to score at the one-yard line or been a touchdown itself. And that was way over 20 yards. Those kinds of catches you have to put completely in the lap of Des Bryant and say, hey, man, you get paid $70 million. You got to make that catch. And he'll be the first one to tell you 
he'll be the first one to, to take accountability that. for that to his credit. But when that happens, when a drop like that happens, I believe it goes right back to, you know, well, you Dak Prescott, does he want to go right back to Dez on the next play? And if so, what does that do to the psyche of a player like, oh, yeah. you know, Cole Beasley, who's also having a down year because defensive coordinators have kind of keyed in on him. Um, so it's Very it's a myriad of things, chemistry issues between Dak Prescott and Dez Bryant. Dez Bryant has got to come up with the the, the catch the catches. Um, and also Dak has to realize that, you know, give – Take what the defense gives you. If the defense is triple covering Des Bryant, that's that's not your go-to. Go through your progressions, find your open receiver. Yes, throwing a jump ball to Des Bryant probably will still end in your favor, but probably not. And if and we've seen, if you look at coaches' film over the course of the 2017 season, there are plays where he forces the ball to Bryant, and then you got Cole Beasley wide open in the slant, or you got Terry got behind cover. And it's funny. And Dak needs to understand that Dez is still productive if he's getting triple covered. That's that's still productive. Perfect. It's just not maybe stat wise. It's still beneficial to that's still beneficial to the offense. And and one thing I mentioned, I, I had an episode right after the Giants game, and one of I kind of got on a little rant here. If and and you and you mentioned you mentioned it too. If Dez Bryant is going to be barking on the sideline about wanting his his targets, and and I, I think it comes from a a um, I don't think to say ego or diva. I think it's genuinely wanting to help the team and have the ball in his hands to be beneficial. But if you're going to do that, then you cannot drop the ball like you did against the Giants, right? And I think Des Bryant had one or two of those against the, the Raiders. Um, but I agree with you. I, I don't think, and I get really frustrated with this. I get a lot of slack for being a Cowboys fan. I live here in Georgia. You know, either people who love the Cowboys or hate them. Yes. I've met more people who yes. hate them, sadly, based on where I live, right? So I did a lot of slack, and I did a, a lot of people hating Des Bryant. I'm one of his biggest defenders, so I agree with you. It It's not a talent issue. I think a lot of it is starting his head a little bit. But well, really quick, before, you, before you get last to the last point, point here, on Des Bryant, here's, yes, go ahead. If, if anyone go ahead. who's listening wants to get a visual of, of what we're talking about here, but with whether it be Des Bryant, Dak Prescott, or you know the combo, look at the first quarter interception from Dak Prescott against the Oakland Raiders. What transpired there? Two bad oh, things yeah. happened. Yeah, because some people were saying, "Well, the the pass was bad." Others are saying, "Well, Des pulled up on the route." Both of you were correct. Okay, it was high and it led high, uh, Des yeah. into a very bad situation that would have gotten him absolutely bad obliterated. That being said, you're being paid $70 million to step in and take that. Yeah, and that, but that's, yeah, that's a tough situation. Agreed. One, like you said, the ball should have never been thrown. When you have a safety coming in like that on, on the back yeah, he, behind you, you have somebody coming in front of you. He did say that's up. But, it was hot, and it was high, too. And, so and he was this is where, that and, that and that's the, the accountability of that is – 100% on deck as far as seeing that unfold and still releasing that ball and leading him yeah. with the pass. So he led him to his death. Mm-hmm. And But on from the Des Bryant side of things, you want to be the number one receiver. You, you got to show you why you're the number one receiver. And sometimes that means stepping into a, a situation that probably isn't going to end well. 
Uh, and, and we all know Diz is not. Oh yeah, it is. Here's thing. Diz is not a small guy. Diz is a very physically um, that's one. imposing individual. Exactly. And we're talking about Ezekiel Elliott. You know, his physical stature. Diz is bigger and and equally as you know in shape, mm-hmm. if not more so. So we know that that Diz Bryant can take those shots. We've seen them, um, but it's just a matter of I wish you know, that the ball was not thrown, but it was a catchable ball if Dez doesn't pull up. And the worst case scenario, you know, Dez, if if Dez isn't going to step in and take that hit, which is understandable. I I wish that he stepped in and and took and got the ball. But if he didn't, I can understand that because you don't want to risk what you don't want to risk. That being said, though, the least he could have done at the bare minimum is what he's done several times already this season, which was turned into a defensive back and saved Dak Prescott from that interception. And do something, yeah, yeah, I agree. And 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 that might have just been, you know, nothing. But and who knows? I mean, maybe you know. I tend to believe that he, oh, felt, he felt that felt pressure it. from the back, oh, that safety. <laughs> However, you know, you don't know. Yeah, he's been so, in this league so long I, enough I to know what's trying to happen in here. But that it was to your point. Yep. To your point, you you know you you mentioned if Des wants to be a top guy, he's to make those catches. And and the first thing that popped into my head is, you know who is and making those catches? Antonio to, Brown. To my point. To and my he's, point. And he's much smaller than Des Bryant. He's much smaller. And, and Julio Jones there, steps in there and, and, and do it. And yeah. makes so, those. But that, um, that's so I mean, help. He is a freak. To his credit, oh, yeah. he's a, he's a freak, <laughs> he man. is a freak. I mean, he it's unbelievable. I, I I love Des Bryant. I love Des Bryant, but but the unbiased. Now, okay, so I'm I'm a very loosely call myself a media person, right? You know, I do a podcast now. I'm very loosely, as an unbiased football fan, Julio Jones is by far one of the one. I mean, talent and just he's, he's the new wise. No, maybe but past 10, 15 years. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, it, it's crazy. So, but but talking about the wide receivers, one interesting tidbit. I don't put a lot into this, um, but it's it's worth mentioning. The Cowboys worked out 11 players today, three of which were wide receivers. Um, uh, do you put any – do you put any – I do, um, um, actually. And, do you put any thought um, they worked. They worked them out on Tuesday. Um, and No, you're, you're fine. And I wrote a piece okay, on that on yesterday Tuesday. speaking on those 10 guys that they worked out. Uh, and it's funny that you bring it up or you kind of key in on the fact that they worked out three wide receivers. And I believe that's because, and and obviously what they're doing is not simply looking for insurance and depth at this point, it's week 16. Um, They're looking forward as well to Mm -hmm. futures, potential futures deals. Um, And of course you can sign those futures deals effective January 1st. So they're trying to kind of set themselves up as well in that aspect. But I believe that that kind of ties into, you know, what's going on with players like Bryce Butler, for example, um, who started out the season lights out, but Mm -hmm. has completely trailed off in the second half, even before he suffered the foot injury. And of course he suffers the foot injury. He's now missed two consecutive games, not doing himself any favors, operating under a second one year deal to kind of prove himself to the team for a long-term contract. I don't think he has done that. I don't think he has the time to do that now. So I think that the Cowboys are looking for any type of value that could be had um, on an inexpensive front, because they, as we all know, they're more frugal nowadays, um, that they can probably slide in because Terrence Williams isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that they, 
Exactly. I think yeah, I think that they're going to um, this season. approach Des Bryant for a potential pay cut. But that being said, Des Bryant is not going anywhere. Uh, Cole mm-hmm. Beasley still has another year under his contract. He's not going anywhere for 2018. Noah Brown is, yeah, uh, I, I believe that between Noah Brown, I think Noah Brown is the next man up and he's going to take um, Bryce Butler's position after the, the season is done. But you're still going to need some type of insurance there. But I think that, you know, all things being considered, all things that I'm mentioning, if you look at the drafting of Noah Brown, uh, if you look at the fact that Ryan Switzer is on the roster as well, and then now they're working out three separate wide receivers, I, I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it, I, I, like I said, I think the writing's on the wall There's for Bryce reason. Butler as it's far as uh, his future with the Cowboys. And, and it's sad because at the beginning of the season, T- Terrence Williams is is one of my is one of the most frustrating Cowboys. He can be. Right, it, it, he really is. I mean, if if I see another ball bounce off of it, his numbers, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be infuriated. But uh, in the beginning of the season, you know, the I think it was the the Cardinals where Bryce Butler had that really big play. Um, you mm-hmm. you would sit there and you would see these big plays come from Bryce Butler, and you would wonder why, why is he not playing more? And I think you're starting to see that there's maybe more that we don't know. It just has casual well, fans a lot of it, that the coaches do, obviously, um, and 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 people tend people always forget that the coaches do more know more than we do, right? So you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I do think you're seeing well. It, there, to there be honest with you, it's a combination we, we of that, know. and it's the what you don't know and the what you do know. All right, so you can't speak to what you you can't speak to what you don't know. Although people try all the time, which is what social media is, unfortunately. But if you're speaking to what you do know, if you if you look at his games, if you look at his film uh, in the games that he's played over the se- course of the second half of the season, what you see more often than not is drops. So whereas in the beginning of the season, he was not dropping those mm-hmm. deep passes. Yeah. He was making those catches and they were, you know, game changers. Um, but at some point during the season, those began, began to become drops. And then that caused his targets to go down. Um, substantially. And I just think that the the coaching staff between what we know on the field as, as voyeurs and what may be happening in practice without us knowing because there's no media access um, in many of the uh, practice portions. I, I don't think that the team has the confidence now in Bryce Butler that they had earlier in the season. Um, and I mean, think about it. If they had a ton of confidence in him leaving 2016, he would have been signed to an, at least a two year deal at least, but he's on a one year deal. They want him to prove it mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Still hasn't. You see a lack of confidence there. Linehan is not dialing up his number when he's on the field and now he's injured trying to fight back. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, too little, too late. I don't see uh I don't see Bryce Butler surviving the uh twenty eighteen offseason as far as the Cowboys are concerned. And 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 there's there's plenty of people who want to see Ryan Switzer run more routes <laughs> and, and try to dig the ball a little bit more. Um Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, just here's the thing. You see what they've done with Cole Beasley doubling yeah. up. You can't double two slot guys, right? You know what I'm saying? So I, I would like to see what he does, but you also look at Noah Brown. Um I really hope I did this name correct. Andy Jones was that the other wide receiver in the offseason. He was on the verge. I mean, we almost kept six guys. So I, I think that does bring to you know kind of a head that Bryce Butler probably will not remain you know with the team, um, which is which is too bad because I, I did think he had an opportunity 
to to try to continue to make some plays for us. But but you're right, he had the opportunity, and he obviously didn't do enough outside of game time, outside of and maybe then, a few and big keep plays. In mind, really um, earned, you know, kind of bring that it all full circle when it comes to Bryce Butler. He's an exceptional talent. That much cannot be denied. Um, it's just the inconsistency that's biting him mm-hmm. in the rear end right now. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at them working out, you know, uh, wide receivers right now. And then, of course, they still they're going to want to see what they have in Noah Brown. They, they need to institute Ryan Switzer into the offensive scheme better in 2018. And then, of course, you got the draft in a few months. And, yeah. you know, worst case scenario, if you don't like what you're seeing with these free agents you're working out, yeah. um, you know, you take a flyer on a guy like you did with Noah Brown. Um and, of course, they still want to see what they have with Noah Brown. But if you really, really are that concerned with having some insurance at the position, you already know what you are going to get and what you're not going to get with Bryce Butler. It, it just may be time for them to move on from that. And Noah Brown has found his niche. I mean, he's he, one of the better he is, uh, he's in a lot of those running situations. He's definitely one of their best. Yeah, he's one of the – him and Terrence Williams are, are the one of the better run blockers as comes from wide receivers. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned wide receiver. You know, if if we – during that three-game losing streak, in my mind, I was sitting here thinking, okay, you know, we, we got some tough teams coming up. You know, we can maybe, maybe consider a top 10 or maybe top 12 pick. And I was kind of salivating the, of the thought of Calvin Ridley. However, I, cause I, in my personal opinion, I think the league is going towards that style of wide receiver and moving away from the style of receiver, the Des Bryants, the Julio Joneses, the Mike Evans. I think you're seeing more of the 6, 6 one, two, five, two, ten, not the 6-4, two, you know, 2-25, I think you're seeing more of those Antonio Brown, um, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, I think you're kind of seeing more of those guys become a lot more popular in offensive teams. So I was kind of looking forward to that. I don't think it's going to happen. That's fine. I'd much rather have a playoff push instead. Um, but Patrick, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I know we no, went probably fine. a lot uh, longer yeah, than you expected. Um, it's always it was, a great it's time a to have speaking you with in. knowledgeable football fans and uh, specifically Cowboys fans. So uh, I appreciate you having me on. Time is uh, never an that. issue when, when we really start getting into the meat of things and we start having some really good, intelligent you know, football conversations. So it's definitely been fun. And uh, yes, you know, yeah. give me a holler, and I'd love to come on and do it again sometime. You as well, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have a fantastic evening. All right. All right, guys. So there you have it. That was the conversation I had with Patrick Walker. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Landry Shift Show. You can also uh, like the page on Facebook at Landry Shift Show. Please go ahead and follow my personal Twitter at AMMatthew24. That's at AMMatthew24. And please go ahead and give Patrick a follow at Voice of the Star. If you're a Cowboys fan, he's a must-follow. Give him a shout-out. Thank you for uh, coming on to the show. I appreciate it, you guys. Can't wait for the game on Sunday. It's a big one. And uh, I'll make sure to have a, a podcast next week, even though it's Christmas time. It may be a day or two late, but I'll make sure I have a podcast next week um, You know, talking about what happened uh, this Sunday. Appreciate it, guys.